he's talking about? Who's included in this address? And, and Paul is pretty clear, let everyone. Is there anyone left out of that? No, that's because we're all under someone's authority, okay? We're all under someone's authority. And for, uh, for those of you who are um, um, kids who are still living at home, the authority that God has put over you are moms and dads, or if you're living with grandma and grandpa, or if you're living in another kind of situation where you've got a, an adult guardian, those people are in authority over you, and God has placed them there. You're under their authority. But you know uh, that as you grow up, as we become adults, as we leave home, we leave the authority. Uh, we don't any longer sit under the authority of our parents, but then we are under the authority of those who lead, um, who lead our government. And so we sit under um, their authority. Paul says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. And so we all have someone um, that we are accountable to. And so as we work our way through this chapter, um, there's something to apply to everyone, and I want you to catch that. I, I understand that today my audience goes from first graders all the way through adults, and so there is something for everyone from chapter 13 of Romans. And so as we go through, I'm going to make some parallels from what Paul says to family life because I want our students who are here today to understand that God, God's word applies to you. And there's something for you today. So stay dialed in, listen well, take some notes, ask some questions as we go through, but let's learn together. I think in chapter 13, Paul is giving us uh, three reasons why Christians are compelled to obey the laws of the land. Three reasons why, why Christians are compelled to obey the laws of our land. And the first one is, very simply, we obey because disobedience will bring punishment. Disobedience will bring punishment. So parents, I didn't want to, adults, I didn't want to leave you out. There's a follow along for you, right? There are fill in the blanks. You can play that same game that we played a couple weeks ago and try to guess what the fill ins are if you'd like. That's okay. I, I did hear back that a lot of people got them wrong. So let's try harder, would you? I mean, I'm not that smart. So you can guess my fill-ins. Here we go, though. We obey because disobedience will bring punishment. Look at verse 3. Paul says, For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but, those, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Understand what Paul's saying. God has set in place governing authorities. Now, I want to be clear, and I think this is one of the traps that we can fall into, so I'm going to walk carefully um, around it, but here's the thing. God has instituted leadership, government over us, 
And so Paul is talking about the institution of government is an authority over us. And it's important that we understand that God has placed them there and he has given them the authority to enforce, to both make laws and enforce the law. And so this first reason to be compelled is simply because if we disobey the law, there's a consequence. We're compelled to obey to avoid a consequence. That's pretty simple. That's pretty straightforward. If you speed, you're going to get a ticket. If you steal, you're going to get arrested, maybe in jail, pay restitution. There are consequences. It's called justice. If you break curfew, you're going to be grounded from getting to go out or not be able to use the car anymore. If you fight with your brothers or your sisters, you're going to get a timeout. You're going to lose some, some privileges. It's justice. If we do the wrong thing, there's a punishment that comes. Paul says there's no fear of the rules when we obey the rules. Right? That's pretty simple. But I want you to understand, I want you to notice that it's also external. That it's someone else bringing the consequence on us. But it's very practical. We're to obey the law simply because not obeying the law leads to a punishment. And I'll just say that a vast majority of our laws are just. And the punishments that are connected to those are appropriate. So as believers... There's no excuse. Obey the law. Otherwise, we'll face a consequence. Well, let's look at the next one. The second reason is uh, we, Christians are compelled to obey the law because, we, uh, because our conscience tells us that we should. Because our conscience tells us that we should. Look at verses 5, 6, and 7. It says, Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why we pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. And if you, uh, if you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect, and if honor, then honor. Let's talk a minute about the conscience. Everyone is, is created with a conscience. God has placed that in each person. And the conscience has a role to move us to action, to move us to do something. And often it prompts us in four areas to do what's right, to deal with wrongs, to be honest, and to care about others. I'll repeat them because they're not found anywhere else. I didn't put them on the screen. You're at a disadvantage. I'll repeat them, though. The Holy Spirit prompts us, in, or our conscience prompts us in four areas. Do what's right. Deal with wrongs. Be honest. And care about others. God has put something in each person, a conscience that moves us or prompts us to act. 
The problem is that a conscience uh, can be wrong. Paul talks about it um, a couple of times uh, in his letters to say that a conscience can be seared. A conscience can be um, twisted. And so a conscience alone, even though it prompts us to action, the conscience alone is not the thing to follow. But here's the cool thing. For believers, God has put in us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit partners with our conscience. The Holy Spirit acts as a compass that points in the, in the right direction. So where the conscience prompts us to act, the Holy Spirit says, but this is the right action to take. They work in connection. They are in partnership together. And here Paul is saying that one of the reasons that the believer, that the Christian obeys the law is because we know that it's the right thing to do. Not only in our conscience, but also with the power of the Holy Spirit pointing us in the right way. It is the right thing to do. And look at the practical examples that Paul gives. He says, paying your taxes. Now, when Paul writes taxes there, he has in mind the Roman tax. Now we're talking, now you have to shift gears. Think culturally now, right? I mean, he's writing to Romans, right? They're, I mean, they're believers and they're Romans. And so it's their government tax, pay the government tax. Paul also knew that this, this uh, letter was going to be read not just by uh, by Gentile Christians, but by all Christians. And so he uses this word revenue. The word revenue there has more to do with paying a temple tax or that, um, that which is um, uh, supporting the, um, uh, the other leaders that are in our life, right? And so Paul wants to cover all the bases. It's not just the government tax. That would be our, our IRS, right? But also this, um, this other responsibility that we have to give right, that his readers had to give. He says, pay your taxes. But then he goes on. Look at the other examples that he gives. He says, not only to pay your taxes, but also to give respect to those uh, in office or to the office itself. And also then to honor. Honor those who are in civil service. Paul says it's not just, I mean, his examples, it's not just about money. But he's saying there are things that we know that are right to do. And he says do it because they're the right things to do. Let me make that parallel to home life, to family life. Kids, you know, often you know what the right thing to do is, Right? You know what mom and dad expect you to do. You know what the, kind of what the house rules are, right? You know the right thing to do. And often, because I've been there, I've been a kid, I've lived uh, with a mom and a dad, and I know that sometimes I know what the right thing to do is, but my want to doesn't match up with my no to. You know what I'm saying? I, I know I'm supposed to do this. I know what the right thing to do is, but I don't want to, you know? And that is the point where you have a decision to make. 
where you have to decide, now I know what the right thing to do is. I know what mom and dad want me to do. Am I going to do it? Big question. Big question. For example, maybe mom's told you that you have to finish your homework before you go outside to play. And technically, you have finished all your homework. But you know that there's a spelling test tomorrow that you really ought to study for. You know what I mean? So technically, you've done your homework. But you know that you should study for the test before going out to play. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Big question. Because it comes down to this. Am I going to do it because I'm afraid I'm going to get caught? Which really goes back to number one. Obeying because there's going to be a punishment if I don't. But now what we're talking about in number two is I'm going to obey because I know it's right. And do you see how we're moving? Do you see how we're moving? We're moving from externals, external motivations to do the right thing to internal motivations. And we're only going deeper with number three, but we're moving from outside to inside. And what is God most concerned with here? Right? Not just the behavior, the heart. And Paul just does a masterful job of walking us through from the outsides to the inside. You know, there's a, a movie that, we, um, that my family enjoys watching. We've watched it a, a couple of times. It's a movie called Wonder, W-O-N-D-E-R. Maybe some of you have seen it. In the movie, there's a, <clears throat> there's a little boy who's going to school for the first time. He's been homeschooled. For a variety of reasons, this is the year, his first year in public school. Augie Pullman is different. And to help him ease into uh, school for the first time, Mr. Tushman, the principal, has approached a few kids at the beginning of the year asking them to befriend Augie Pullman with mixed results. But... Summer's different.
A believer's compelled to obey the law because it's the right thing to do. Now here again, we've got one of these traps, one of these pits that we can fall into. Because I said most of our laws are just, and I, and I full, fully believe that. I think by and large, our laws are just. But listen, there comes a difference, a time. There may come a time in this country where our law requires us to disobey God. Requires us. That's a key part. And when we get to a place where the law requires us to disobey God, our responsibility as believers is to obey our king. But not when our laws allow us to disobey. I want you to understand the difference because I think it's really important. I think sometimes as believers, I think sometimes as believers, we latch on to laws that allow disobedience and we fight, 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 fight against that. And in our culture, we have a means to do that. We can vote. We have a voice, so use it. But here's the thing. Sometimes we take up a position that says, I'm going to fight against a law that simply allows disobedience rather than requires it. The point that we're to follow our king is if the law is unjust and the law demands that we disobey God. Let me give you an example. It's a hot button. Don't let me get sucked in, Ben. You just speak right up because this is all I'm going to say on it and then we're moving on because I can feel the eddy pulling me in. You know what I'm saying? So don't, don't get lost here, but I want to give you this example. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Listen, horrible law that allows abortion in our country. But it allows. It doesn't demand. Do you see the difference? If the day comes that that becomes the law, that it, it is demanded that that happen, then we have a responsibility to obey a king first. But until then, God has placed ultimate to authority. Doesn't mean that we use that, those laws that allow sin, that we follow those, no. But it's important that you understand there's a difference in laws that allow and laws that demand. Let's look at the third one. The third reason that uh, Christians are compelled is we obey because we love and we trust God. We obey because we love and we trust God. Look at verse 8. 
Paul says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other commands there may be are summed up in one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Paul gives these great examples. He's quoting the law. He goes right back to, uh, uh, to the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy. He says, these are the basic ones. And Paul says, if we love, we're going to fulfill every one of them. If we love, we're going to fulfill every one of them. Love is the thing. that meets every law. Look in, uh, well, don't flip there, but let me read John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. John writes, we love because he, Jesus, first loved us. We love because he first loved us. There's a response there. I'm telling you, in and of ourselves, we don't have it in us to love. We don't have it in us to do that to where there's no need for any other laws. We don't have it in us. But through God and his Holy Spirit working and living his life through us, John can write something like that. It says, we love because he first loved us. It becomes a possibility for the believer because of the Holy Spirit living in us, because he produces that fruit in us. When Jesus was asked to choose the greatest commandment out of the whole law, and he had the whole thing memorized, when Jesus was asked, what is the most important one? And what did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And the second one, bonus, the second one follows right behind it, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus tied those two things together because we cannot love God and hate our neighbor. They are tied together. What God loves, the believer loves. Love is the thing. It's the deepest thing that motivates us as believers to obey. We start with the external. I don't want to do that because there's going to be a punishment. There's going to be uh, justice is going to happen. I'm going to uh, face some kind of discipline. I don't want to do that. That's an external. And then Paul moves it right internal. Do it because you know it's the right thing to do. And then we go even deeper and he says, do it because you love God. Do it because you trust him. Kids, I'm going to give you a secret. If you don't pay attention to anything else, catch this one. Here's the thing. If you get to the place where you trust 
that what mom and dad says is best for you, if you trust that your mom and dad love you and they create rules that are good for you and you obey the rules, life in your home will go so much easier. Are there any adults who would agree with me? Now, listen, it will go easier for mom and dad too. But listen to me, kids, I, I, it, that is not a joke. Listen to me now. If you will trust that mom and dad love you and that the rules that they make for you are good for you and you obey the rules, life will go so much better for you. Christians, if you will trust that what God calls you to do is good for you, and if you obey him, life will go so much better. This is not health and wealth. This is not life will be easy because life will be hard. But when we are in the middle of what God has called us to do and who God has called us to be, when we are in the middle of that, what can touch us? What can touch us? Believers, we are compelled to submit to the authority that God has placed over us. And if we can trust him and sit under that because we love him and because we trust him, life will go better for us. Life will go better for us. As we wrap up this morning, I I really want you to consider, first of all, are you submitting to the authority that God has placed over you? And that's not just the adults in here. I, I do want you to consider that. Kids, I want you to consider, are you submitting? Are you obeying? Are you listening to and trusting the authority, your moms and your dads, those, uh, those people that God has put over you, are you obeying those, those people? And then I want, here's the follow-up question. Why? Why are you obeying? It is God's desire that we move from obedience just in our behavior to obedience that's motivated out of a true and a deep love and a trust in him. Verse 8 says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Today, brothers and sisters, friends, let's move towards love. Let me pray for us. 
God, that response is not possible apart from you. You have to do that work in us. And God, we invite you to come and to do the work in us. God, we're asking that you would work on us at a heart level. God, that you would kindle in us a love for you and a trust in you. Father, maybe that we have never sensed before, that we've never had before. Father, I pray that we would move from um, being externally motivated to obey the rules, Father, that we would respond to what you have for us because of our love for you. Holy Spirit, I invite you and I ask you to come and do that work in my life first. Change my heart. And then in those of us who call you Lord and King, we invite you to do the work. Amen. Folks, we're going to celebrate communion this morning, and the way we're going to do that this morning is the um, as Tom leads us in some worship, the ushers are going to come and pass the trays. I'm going to ask that you hold the, uh, the bread and the cup, and then we'll get to share it all together uh, when uh, this song is done. So would you worship with us in anticipation of remembering what Christ has done for us? him say, I surrender all, I surrender